This is the Worldly Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Luke. And I'm Holly. Through our website and this podcast, we're seeking to connect with what worldly wellbeing means. And by listening today, you're joining us. Today, we're going to talk about being green. It's something that we've discussed in a few of our blogs that you can find on our website. And we're going to look at the complexities and some of the challenges there are with caring for the well-being of our world, looking out for our environment and making changes in our own lives. So clearly this is a hugely topical issue. Climate change has been a topic of discussion for a number of years in particular. And recent protests around deforestation, around greenhouse gas emissions, around the aviation industry have all highlighted perhaps some of the major problems that we face when it comes to climate change. And now as we are looking at a world that is going to be very different post-COVID-19, we have to start thinking about how we respond as consumers, but also as nations and as ginormous companies to these huge global issues that are facing us like climate change. It's also really important to acknowledge that actually, as consumers, we hold a whole lot of power. As voters, um, we hold a whole lot of power. And part of that power is holding people to account Only 100 investor and state-owned fossil fuel companies are responsible for about 70% of the world's historical greenhouse gas emissions. That's a huge statistic. And it might feel that actually, therefore, we can't do much in the face of that. But we've got power to challenge our government to hold those corporations to account. It's quite scary to think how out of our hands the climate crisis can seem. And it's a great reminder that it's not just about the things we do in our own lives, but actually about petitioning, about trying to make changes among these big corporations and our governments as well. But I think equally, that doesn't mean we can sit back and not make any changes because it might seem like a drop in the ocean. But when you've got billions of drops in the ocean, that does make a change. Yes, that awareness is so important. Being mindful of the issues and starting to make decisions that move the needle towards positive change. It's awareness and it's also acknowledging because we need to acknowledge what is happening to the world around us and what will happen if we don't make changes. I don't know about you, Luke, but I always feel like once you acknowledge that, you have no choice but to want to be part of the change. I can't imagine really understanding what's going on and then sitting back and doing nothing. Yeah, and there's huge power in acknowledging the issue as well. By by acknowledging the elephant in the room, you're actually saying, I see you and I know that I have to tackle you as an issue. And there's actual, actually a lot of power in that. I also think that people are waking up to the problem that faces us. They're, you know, particularly the generation perhaps below ours, they are more mindful of issues around the climate and around global warming than we are, and certainly our parents' generation are. And that's really encouraging. That's really motivating to see that actually people are choosing to put the well-being of the planet and the well-being of other people above their own personal well-being. People are acknowledging that actually by making decisions for the climate, I know that my life will look different to the of the generation before me. But I think that that willingness of self-sacrifice, that willingness to commit to protecting something that is as beautiful and as magnificent as our planet, that's really inspiring. It's really beautiful to see that in action. I suppose it's short-term losses for long-term gains. And that's about a mindset. Yeah, and a mindset shift is partly what this is all about. I remember my first engagement with issues around climate change was when a neighbour of mine started recycling. 
And this was before the council started handing out their own recycling boxes. And you kind of, if you wanted to recycle, you had to do it yourself. And then you had to go and take it to a local recycling place for it to be treated and, and sorted. Um, and a, a neighbor of mine started doing this. And I probably was like 13 or 14 at the time. And I suddenly was like, actually, no, I want to be doing this too. I ought to be doing this too. And so I was, again, this precocious teenager that then demanded that my parents somehow start sorting out our rubbish. And, you know, and as a family, we should take this more seriously. And so we had these old bins that we used to use as like toy bins, like toy storage, that then were kind of repurposed. They were blue and red. And they were repurposed and put into our garage. And these were, you know, one was plastic and one was cardboard. And it was as simple as that. For me, that was my first step towards personal acknowledgement of my complicity with these issues, even at 13, 14. It's really interesting to think how we joke about our age, but early 30s, I don't think we're that old. No, we'll go with that. But to see in our lifetime the kind of changes that have happened, and I was thinking back to my childhood and my grandma, I mean, she believed that microwaves were evil. Um, so some things perhaps a stage too far, but she was adamantly against plastic. She never had cling film. She never had plastic bags. And so picnics or school lunches made by my grandma were greaseproof paper wrapped around with proper string to tie it up. I mean, it sounds Victorian. At that time, we just thought it was a funny quirk of my grandma. But looking back, that sort of thing is kind of fashionable and trendy now. And actually having cling film in your house, I mean, talking about precocious teenagers, I'm a precocious 31-year-old right now, back with my parents for lockdown. And I am the plastic police in this house. So if I see my parents getting out a roll of cling film, I will question them and I will actually just take it away from them and stop it. Plastic freezer bags, they must be washed and reused until they are literally falling apart. Because if you're going to buy one, you've got to make the most of that and then recycle it and do not replace them. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's about switching our habits over. So like I grew up in a household as well where like cling film was used for everything. And my dad is a cling film fiend because he works in a commercial kitchen and you need to like, there needs to be ways of keeping things fresh. Um, And so things get like wrapped several times in cling film. And that's kind of like, I remember like going into school with pat lunches and my like Marmite sandwich is wrapped up in like a round of cling film and you kind of having to find the edge to get into the sandwich. Now, like I don't, I personally don't use cling film. I have, I use a lot of like reusable plastic tubs that can go into the fridge, which again, they're plastic tubs. They're not ideal. You know, I haven't yet found a different solution at this. So if you've got a solution, if you're listening in to what I can use instead of plastic tubs in my fridge and when I need to replace in my freezer, when I need to replace them, then let me know. Uh, but then also some of the things like the, the beeswax, uh, the waxy paper. that um, Yeah, that just it works really well. Um, I did accidentally submerge one of mine um, when I was washing it. So it kind of just has got a bit. Are you not supposed to submerge them? Well, I don't think you're supposed to like, well, mine did not like being fully oh. submerged. Um, and it kind of now it like flakes a little bit. I mean, it's still <laughs> fine. I'm, I'm going to use it until like it starts flaking in my food. You're right. It's about slowly changing habits. Mm. Um, and it would be so stupid for us all in our, go around our houses and completely throw away everything plastic because that would defeat the, you know, it's already been made. But to then to start thinking about, well, when that breaks or when I need to get a new whatever, you know, when the cling film runs out, 
do I need to go and buy another roll of chrome film or is there another, is there an alternative that I can afford and that I can actually I can find a way of using effectively in my home maybe I'm a bit lame but I find it quite fun looking into these alternatives so I've got a very exciting little pot with two reusable and washable earbuds well one's for makeup and one's for your ears it sounds weird but I kind of treasure it because I think this is such a lovely little thing and I'm going to use it as long as possible. But there's something quite exciting about finding an alternative that's aesthetically pleasing as well, quite often. It's so interesting to think about straws because five, ten years ago, I mean, I was having at least two or three straws and a drink. I didn't think about it. And now to see, it's difficult to find a plastic straw in a pub or a bar anywhere. It's a very small thing, but what a great change to have. Yeah, and that's when it's about personal accountability as well. It's about saying, do I need to have three straws in my drink right now? Because the flip side of the straw argument is that actually there are people out there that need to use straw because they have a physical disability, because paper straws just disintegrate within a few minutes and they can't therefore drink. And metal straws can be dangerous if you've got a physical disability that affects your motor skills. So plastic straws are actually needed for some people but they're not needed for everyone. I know people that they, when they go out, they have their own metal straw. It does get to a point where I'm like, if I take another item of reusable cup or whatever in oh. my bag, I'm going to need another bag. But maybe that's the kind of thing that we need to be considering more. It's like, well, actually, if I go and buy sushi and I'm given chopsticks again, and I throw those chopsticks away, why would I not just have some reusable cutlery that I can keep in my bag that I can use again and not have to throw away every time I get something when I eat out? So clearly this is a huge topic that we have lots to talk about and lots to share. So we have decided to split our conversation into two parts and you can hear the rest of our conversation in our next instalment. In the meantime, please don't forget to review or rate us online as this really helps other people to find our podcast. You can also get in touch with us via our website, worldlywellbeing.org, or on Instagram via our social media accounts, at LocomotionLuca and at RomeAwayFromHomeBlog. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll be back next week with part two.